Hello, and welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the ups and downs of the creative process and how to keep it moving. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. I am a writer, singer, improv comedy newbie, science fiction geek, and creativity coach who loves helping right-brained folks get unstuck. I am so excited to be coming to you with interviews and coaching calls to show you the depth and breadth both of creative pursuits and creative people, to give you some insight into their experiences, and to inspire you. Today's guest has written more than 50 pieces of music for choir and for handbells, and is well known as a guest festival conductor, particularly for handbells. He retired from Bucknell University's music department, where he was department chair, professor of music, and director of choral studies in 2014. He's also a recipient of the Elaine Brown Award for Choral Excellence from the American Choral Directors Association. Dr. William Payne, also known as Dr. Payne or just DP to his students, has been an important part of my life and a big influence. I spent four years singing for him in Bucknell's Rook Chapel Choir, where I learned more than just great choral music. He joined me recently to talk about his history with music from childhood on, his experiences of conducting versus composing, how to encourage people to do more than they think they can, and how a particularly memorable choral performance in Boston, a rarefied experience for us all, came to be. You can find links to recordings of the pieces we sang and some others we mentioned in the show notes at fycuriosity.com. I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Bill Payne. Dr. Payne, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's always so much fun to talk to you. My pleasure. You've been doing music your entire life. Yes. How did that start? Well, um, I when I was five, um, I was sitting down at the piano and playing my sister's lessons, <laughs> which pissed her off. <laughs> but I would, <laughs> I didn't even have the music in front of me. I was just, I heard what she played and then I would play it. And um, <clears throat> so I, my parents figured there was probably something there. <laughs> so they started giving me piano lessons and it, one thing led to another. So my, my early childhood, middle school, high school was basically piano and um, <clears throat> and I started organ when I was in like ninth grade, and then I landed a church job as a high school student in a Methodist church in a town nearby, um, and had that for a year. And then another church wanted me, um, so I switched churches and did that organist job until I went to Westminster Choir College. So was the church job where you started doing choral music? No, it was just organ. I was oh, the okay. accompanist. I played the organ and I, um, of course, learned a lot just by observing mm -hmm. uh, choral director. And so I would I would play for the, you know, rehearsals and on Sunday mornings. So then when did you start doing choral music? Was that at Westminster? Well, yeah, Westminster is where that all started. I didn't even really know that I had a voice, Nancy. Um, I sang and I did sing in the high school choir. Mm -hmm. I sang in choirs in high school, but um, I was more into the band because I played the clarinet as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. I And I ended up being first chair. I, m my father had been a clarinetist. And so he he was willing to, he knew clarinets and he knew what I needed to make the sounds that I wanted. Mm -hmm. So he bought me a really nice um, clarinet. And I did that all through high school. And so band was a little more in my, you know, thinking at right. that point. 
my musical experience in high school. And I was known as the, you know, the musician. And so there, I would do duets with some of the other students that I knew. And so, you know, it, it was a great identity for me at that time because I wasn't into sports or anything like that, you know. Right. Totally <clears throat> so when I went to the choir college, I started taking voice lessons. And all of a sudden I realized I had something in there. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not as a soloist, but um, certainly to be able to mim- to imitate and help choirs know what kind of sound I was looking for. Right. So do you ever play the clarinet anymore? Nope. No. Okay. I haven't touched clarinet for over probably 40 years. Okay. Yeah. It, I just kind of went by the wayside. I did play it in when I was at the choir college. Um, I, it, several singers would do works by Schubert that had clarinet mm-hmm. with um, the shepherd on the rock is one thing that comes to mind. One of the um, voice uh, solos that comes to mind that uses clarinet. So I, I played it through college, but then after okay. that, because I've never heard you mention it before. That's why I wondered. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of a thing of my past. Yeah. Ancient secret. Dr. Payne used to be a clarinetist. I know. <laughs> buddy <laughs> now it can be told <laughs> right right <Yeah. laughs> it's funny that this interview is coming up because i'm doing a uh a, a guest conducting gig in raleigh next um weekend with the, the sponsored by the raleigh ringers and this is people from all over the country mm-hmm. who are coming to ring bells um on an advanced level and they're having a fireside chat with me um, in one of the breweries um, oh, cool. evening and they sent me this list of questions you know oh wow like so this would be great this will be a good rehearsal <laughs> for me too <laughs> you'll be all set I know except I know. that I don't have a list of questions because <laughs> I don't know I don't think that's as easy or as much fun but I hear but they don't know you so right Right. Whereas I feel like I've known you forever. Oh, I know. Which, you know, my my mother likes to tell me that the first time I met you was at a children's choir festival in, I want to say Hanover, Pennsylvania. Yeah, it was. Who knows how old I was, probably like six or seven. I don't remember this, so it feels very apocryphal to me. But but yeah. I remember that festival. Yeah. (laughs) I remember where they put me up, which was just like over a garage or something. I was just like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Those were the days. So were you doing more quick kids music back then? I was doing much more than I have in since I came to to uh, live in Lewisburg and teach at Bucknell. I, as a church musician, of course, when I graduated from Westminster Choir College, I graduated. Um, my principal instrument was organ with um, kind of a emphasis on church music. And I thought I wanted to be a church musician for the rest of my life. I, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where I was go headed. And, um, so my first position was in Ohio at second Presbyterian church. And I was responsible for all the children's choirs, bells, the adult choir, everything. And, and there were a lot of choirs. Um, and I even had those little first graders and I think five-year-olds, uh, and I remember Choristers Guild was so helpful because they, uh, they're they a firm that helps you um, develop programs and stuff for children. So 
and I had learned a good bit about it at the choir college, but the the children seemed to respond to me. And so at that point in my life, I was 22 years old. I could relate to them pretty mm-hmm. easily. And um, so we had a great time and we made great music. Uh, eventually, my wife at the time, um, Kay, um, because it just became too much, took some of the children's choir work. Mm-hmm. And, and then when we moved to Morristown, two and a half years later, after I went to Ohio, um, they did hire Kay part-time to do the children. And I did everything from, I think, middle school on up. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm not surprised that, you know, you had no trouble relating to little kids because you've always seemed to me to be a little kid in a six foot tall body. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. I mean, you know, I remember Halloween's in chapel choir. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm still wearing costumes and doing all that. Yes. Yes. So. For for people who don't know you, Dr. Payne would would just conveniently have to take his son trick-or-treating that night and wouldn't be at rehearsal and someone else would take rehearsal. And then he would, so, you know, suddenly out of nowhere appear in a costume with fangs and wild hair and blood on his tux shirt and run around the chapel and then play the Toccata and Fugue in D minor to just yep. scare the crap out of all of us <laughs> in the most fun possible way. <laughs> It was fun, and he, and I continued that with the Susquehanna Valley Chorale too. So. Oh, good! <laughs> yeah, every once in a while I pull that out, so I still have it. I still have that. Those tales I can still fit into them. The trick or treating <laughs> excuse is not quite as easy anymore, I would think. No, no. Nope. <laughs> but I do remember the surprise the first my first year when you did that. It was like, whoa, what's going on? Yeah, I know. And I think one of those years there were there were prospective students in the back. So they probably <laughs> never came. They just went out screaming, thinking I'm never coming to this school. Or they probably, if they were the right prospective students, said, yeah. oh, yeah, this is where I need to be. Exactly. Because, you know, <laughs> yeah. Ch- have- Chapel Choir for me was always sort of like... I mean, I never joined a sorority or did any of the Greek stuff. And to me, it was kind of like a self-selecting group like that, where we were all exactly the right kind of crazy. I mean, we used to joke that part of the audition was to make sure we had the right personality. Yeah. And that comes through so fast. Yeah. I mean, it's all part of it, truly. I mean, I'm listening to the voice, obviously, and whether you can read, but I'm also talking to each student, or I was talking to each student, just finding out a little bit about them, you know, and that told me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Sometimes this I one's crazy. They can come join the choir. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. We'll get them to sing eventually. Yeah. <laughs> if you're crazy, <laughs> oh, I was you can so carry it too. Lucky. I was so lucky at Bucknell. The talent was amazing. And just to work with students like yourself who were not music majors, but were really choral music was a passion and it didn't matter what their background was or what their religious affiliation was. If they love to sing, that's all I needed. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, well, and I, I think I've probably told you that I frustrated the heck out of my dad when it was college admissions time because he kept saying, you know, do you want to go look at schools? So I was like, no, I'm good. Yeah. Because I'm, we started coming up for candlelight when I was in middle school. So by the time that came around, I was like, no, I need to go there. I have to sing in that choir. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was like, Major? I don't care about major. I don't care about academics. I mean, I cared, but, you know, that was really why I, and and it was the only school I applied to, which is a sentence that makes college admissions counselors everywhere have heart failure. But 
But yeah, I had two moments of truth. One was when I pulled my early decision letter out of the mailbox and thought, oh, if this doesn't say what I want it to say, I'm kind of in trouble. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then the second was when I went to audition with you and I thought, oh, it never occurred to me what would happen if I didn't get in. (laughs) Fortunately, that wasn't a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Thank God. Thank God. It's so many ways. Because it would have been a radically different experience if I hadn't. Absolutely. And I did have, once in a while, I'd have a student that would come in with high expectations of making it, and they wouldn't. And um, they would be really disappointed. But I would just say, work really hard in concert corral, mm-hmm. and I'll be watching you, and audition again. And almost always, if they really wanted to be in the choir, mm-hmm. they, they re-auditioned and made it. So... Because you're, I mean, I haven't heard you say that before, but it doesn't surprise me because I always think of the fact that, you know, I've worked with other directors since I left Bucknell and I knew before I left Bucknell that I was spoiled rotten and that it was going to be a horrible adjustment for me to have to go sing somewhere else for in so many different ways. But one of them is, you know, I've worked with people who would hand out a piece of music and say... Now, this is really hard. I don't know if we're going to be able to do this, but we're going to try it. And I would always think, you know, the one thing Dr. Payne never said to us was, this is really hard. I don't know if we're going to be able to do it, which, of course, immediately what I think of is Copeland in the beginning, which is a bear. Oh, my God. And you never, ever said to us, we might not be able to do this. You just handed it to us and we ran through it. And and I think the fact that, you know, if you say to somebody, you might not be able to do this, then it's I, in their head. Yeah, it sets up expectations it, of yeah. failure. Yeah. So, no, that was – and it, even there were times – there were a couple of times um, when I gave a piece to the choir – and I thought to myself, I'm, I don't know, you know, but I never said to them. And if I felt that a piece wasn't going to work, I just didn't even go there with the choir. I just put it away. And eventually they might two months later say, what about this piece that we were doing? <laughs> and I would say something like, oh, I forgot about it or, you know, whatever. Yeah, there's only one time I remember you deciding that we weren't going to do something. And that was the Charles Ives Psalm 150, I think. Uh, that's exactly what I'm referring to. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I just did, I didn't want to do it. And uh, after we rehearsed it a few times, I just thought, this is a waste of time. <laughs> I, there's so much prettier stuff. Yeah. I was and sort of so, thinking we were all going to have our own individual note in that piece, as I remember. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and actually, in the beginning is far harder than that. And later on in choirs that I had, I, there was one instance when we were starting a, a La Yelo piece, and um, and they had to have it learned in four weeks to perform because Fitzwilliam was coming, and it was a piece with string quartet and piano. Mm. And they came back from break at, after Christmas. I gave them this piece of music, which was like 30 pages long. <laughs> and I said, we have four, we, we have eight rehearsals to get this perfection because we're doing it with Fitzwilliam. And they just looked at me and went, okay. <laughs> and we did it. You know? Well, And that's the thing. We trusted you implicitly. It was like, you weren't going to put us in a situation where we were going to fall flat on our faces. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that experience with, with uh, ACDA was 
amazing for me. You know, it was amazing it was, for all of us. I yeah, I mean, I remember the night before when we talked through the concert and just tried to imagine what it would be like, and you know how the excitement of everybody was just the energy was, and oh, that's yeah. why we all burst into tears at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Well, being in that space added so much to it too. Oh my gosh, we were so lucky to be able to sing in that space and oh, not yeah. in a ballroom. Yeah, you know. it was Trinity Church of Copley Square in Boston, and you know, I don't, I don't know if I ever told you, but my my aunt and uncle and one of my cousins came, and afterwards, when I saw them, my cousin looked at me and she said, "I knew you sang, but I didn't know you sang." Yeah. And and yeah, and I think we were all high as kites for a couple of days on that. I yeah, definitely. Definitely. I do remember you telling us that we weren't allowed to tell anybody that people told you we were better than Westminster. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't say this if Jim Jordan's in the room. <laughs> exactly. And I remember you telling us his reaction when you t- when you told him that we were going to do the Copeland, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, just total disbelief. Yeah, which whatever. I recall was basically, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But this is why I say, you know, I feel, I mean, absolutely incredibly lucky, but also so spoiled because now, you know, I'll look at a choir that balks at doing something way easier than that. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? That's not hard at all. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> like my no. my whole scale for, for Everything assessing is things like that is way different than everybody else's. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So, so yeah. how did you, I mean, how did you come to realize that, you know, setting that expectation that this might be too hard was a really bad idea? Was that just something that you had already kind of innately figured out or? I mean, when we were, when I, about the Ives piece, that well, kind or, of thing. You know, just in general, not saying this might be too hard. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I knew that if I set up that expectation that it probably would fail or that the choir would look at it like, Oh, well, this isn't, we're not really going there with this. So I don't know, you know, why I did that. I just okay. seemed to be part of my being. I, you know, I think I, well, you know me as being a fairly positive person. Mm-hmm. So, um, usually the glass is half full for me most of the time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's definitely a lesson that I learned from you without you actually teaching it and you just kind of demonstrated it. Sure. You know, so, you know, I when I was teaching, I would never look at a kid and say, I know this is hard. You know, it's like, no, you can do this. We'll just we just have to figure out the right way for you to get it. Mm-hmm. That's all. Right. And it's yeah. wonderful. And I think it just it gives them a sense of confidence mm-hmm. that otherwise they wouldn't have if you said, well, this is really hard, but. We'll try. Yeah. I mean, I think we all figured out the Copeland was pretty hard. I mean, well, and you did tell us how Jim Jordan reacted when you told him. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you waited until we were a fair bit into it before you told oh, us that. Exactly. You know. And and that was actually, in some ways, it was a positive because you heard it as being uh, some this guy from Westminster Choir College is saying this piece is really difficult. Right. And we're doing it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And and then, you know, we would also joke about how we were always going to scare the hell out of the freshmen because you had us come back early. So we'd already started it. Yes. And and they would come in and just them. be, yeah. Yeah. We, and, and it wasn't even just that piece. It was it was other stuff, too, that kind of became the running gag. 
Yeah. Yeah. We have to go go learn half of this so that we can scare the hell out of the freshmen. I don't. <laughs> they finally they caught on quickly, but right of passage. <laughs> well, it made it easier for them. So you know, because yeah, right. They weren't stumbling along with the rest of us. Exactly. But yeah, I think yeah. I think we all did pretty much feel like we could do anything you threw at us by the time we left. That's neat. That's neat. so. And I felt like that choir could do anything for the most part, you know, within the scope of that choir, a 40 voice choir. Mm -hmm. We couldn't do Dirty Requiem, you know, but um, because it's, you need a huge or a huge choir to yeah. make that happen. So, um, yeah. And I, and as the years went by, the literature became much more sophisticated in my 32 from when I started. Mm -hmm. I remember the library and how kind of pathetic it was when I got there and how it, it just grew because all of a sudden um, there were these new composers, young composers that were coming up. And then I was discovering Scandinavian composers, Norwegian composers, um, the things that I'd not heard before. So it was a growth experience for me too. Yeah. Well, that's how it's supposed to be. Absolutely. Because otherwise you, you'd be bored. Right. And if so you're bored, as, you're not going to throw hard stuff at anybody. <laughs> no. And as a teacher, don't you think you're always, you're always learning? Oh, yeah. Uh, and you learn from your students many so things. So much. Yeah. But you also just, because you're preparing and um, kind of getting yourself ready for the next chapter, whatever that may be, you're... You know, you're doing research, you're, mm -hmm. you know, constantly active. And that's what I'm liking about retirement, the fact that I'm still conducting the Susquehanna Valley Chorale and orchestra. And so it keeps me ahead of the game. You know, mm -hmm. I know what's going on in the world and, and, and colleagues um, will say, you ought to try this piece or whatever. And, and I'm joining consortiums so that we can commission new works, which I think is important. Yeah. So, so so speaking of of new works I'm curious to know because I mean I write but I write words so mm -hmm. I don't know how similar the experience of <laughs> of writing text is to writing music but I know sometimes when I write it's like pulling teeth and other times when I write it's like there's something that's just kind of coming through you and you better just get out of its way and let it out and I'm yes. curious to know what what it's like writing music for you When I wrote um with what shall I come before the Lord for the chapel choir mm -hmm. um, for the 45th anniversary of the chapel? I believe it was. I want, I was going to use that text, the Micah that's mm -hmm. on the back of the chapel right? Uh, on the outside back wall with what shall I come before? The Lord. And um, that text totally inspired me. And, and I wrote that piece, I think in like 10 days. Wow. And normally, whether it's choral or handbell, it takes me several months to really hone in. But I knew what I wanted, and I and I think I was writing for my own choir. Mm -hmm. I was writing for a special celebration of a building that I know and loved, knew and loved, and and so all of that, all of those personalities came into play. I knew each section what they could handle. Mm -hmm. um, uh, vocally range. So all of that was in my head already. 
so I, so I, and then I, I do compose at the piano and I started improvising and a lot of composers do this. Um, just started improvising with that text thinking, how could I, and it just came to me. I mean, it was, uh, and so you're like, you've experienced it's just like this wash. When I right. wrote, um, a, there's a bell piece called Elegy mm-hmm. that I wrote for Dwight Menard. Or Dwight Menard, yeah, that was his name. Um, died of AIDS. I, after I first came to Bucknell, I think is when that happened. It was the because when you came to Bucknell, that was the peak of the AIDS crisis, mm-hmm. and. Um, and it was still secret then, you know. Was, right. But I knew I knew Dwight as a friend, as a colleague, and um, his choir had asked me to write this piece. Ooh. And I remember sitting in the chapel mm-hmm. at that piano. It was on the floor at that time. I can see it totally, the music, everything. And I wrote that piece in one sitting. I, wow. I, I had to go back and then kind of tweak it right but um it just came out of me because i was emotionally involved Mm -hmm. and um so just like you you know i think there are certain circumstances that allow you to create yeah and then there are other times when it's hard i have to just put it away and and that's why sometimes it takes me a few months to write mm-hmm. something because it's not happening. Right. You understand that. Yeah. If you force it too much, you just end up frustrated and with something you don't like. So, right. yeah. There yeah. are people in the writing community who will, you know, they like to say, writers write. I was like, well, yes, obviously. <laughs> and yeah. there, there's this whole idea that, you know, if you don't write every day, you're not a real writer. And it just annoys me because... No, sometimes that's just self-abuse. It's not getting you anywhere and it's going to frustrate you and mean you don't write at all anymore. So no, sometimes you have to know when today's not the day and other days you have to say, okay, there's sort of something here. It's not easy, but it's, but it's coming and I can work with this. And other times it just happens like magic. I know. And those days I don't, yeah, I'm I'm never impressed with a musician that says, well, I sit down at the piano every day from 8 a.m. until noon and compose. And that's never really impressed me because for me, if I go out for a walk here at the farm or run or whatever at 8 in the morning, and I think that that's more helpful to me mm-hmm. than sitting down at the piano. In some moments, there are other days when I can't wait to get to the piano, but right. all of life's experiences are what help yeah. you to write or compose. And so if something comes up, you know, these people that say they write from eight to 12, well, what if there's some life experience that comes along at that time period and you say no to it, you know? Right. Right. And and there is something to being in the habit of doing it that does kind of prime your brain. So it's not like that's a terrible idea, but I don't think you need to be a slave to it. Oh, totally. Totally. No. And I think when I'm writing, um, I do, I'm, I'm pretty good about just sitting down and, you know, okay, this is my opportunity Mm -hmm. to, to make music and make it happen. But 
sometimes I'll be there for four hours and then other times I'll walk away after an hour. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, I, I'll, I'll come back to this tomorrow. Isn't it interesting when you come back to it, all the stuff that you see that you didn't see Oh yeah. when you first, when you first put it down yes. on paper? Uh, it's amazing to me, the process. Mm-hmm. And this is, I would talk to the choir about this too. We would start a piece of music and it, you just feel like, oh my God, are we ever going to, like in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, magically, there's a period where we processed it to the point where things start happening. Yeah. It starts to click and make sense. Yep. And, that and it kind of takes in- on a life of its own. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and, so- and as you were talking just now, I was thinking, so that whole rush feeling of I've just written 10 pages in an hour and I don't even necessarily know where they came from. They're just here is, is like its own kind of high though. Usually after I do that, I feel like I've just run a marathon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm really tired. Whereas I've, I've told a couple people this, you know, every transcendent experience I have ever had has been singing in a choir. Wow. You know, when something really comes together, like the foray at Bucknell, definitely like in the beginning in Boston. Um, and not only those, but but there's there's a different kind of high that comes with that yeah. for me. And it's it's not the same as the writing. The writing is great, but if I had to pick one, I'd pick the musical one. Sure. Because it's just I, I don't know, it's like transporting and I always I've I'm tired afterwards, but in a really, really good way, not like I need to go sleep for a week, more like I I could, I'm tired, but I feel like I could go do anything. And I wonder, how is it as a conductor? Is it like that when you hear all of that coming together? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's an adrenaline rush. Yeah. Amazing. Candlelights were always that way for me, you know, and every night was different um, in its own way. Um, But and those experiences and just every Sunday morning, you know, mm-hmm. you could walk away with a real, real feeling of accomplishment. And yeah, I, I, I definitely that high is there. I think yeah. that has to be why you do it. Right. I well, mean, yeah. Yeah. Why, why do any of it if, if you're not going to get that out of it? No. And I, and you heard me say to the choir many times, this is why you do this because you have had that experience. You've had that high at some point and you had it at Bucknell. Mm -hmm. And so you, you never want any less than that. You may not ever get it, but you always strive for that. That's, that's why I know I'm spoiled. (laughs) Yeah. And I, my determining factor was Westminster Choir College. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got to sing with with Bernstein and with Stein Steinberg and with Stokowski and all these great com- conductors singing this great music with the New York Philharmonic, Philadelphia Orchestra, the American Symphony. You know, that's that yeah. was my that was my learning, and and so that has gone with me for all my life. If it hadn't been for the choir college, I know I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now or what I was doing. Um, it totally inspired me to be that way and to make that kind of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and then you passed it on to us because you had to have that, so therefore we had to have it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's that high. You know? Yeah. And yet when you start, it doesn't sound like that. You have no idea that 
you might actually end up there. I mean, when you're plunking out notes on a piano and and you can't figure out where that stupid G sharp is and why you can't find it in the middle of this chord and you're never yeah. going to hit it, you know, you're just sitting there saying, I don't know, man. <laughs> I know. This I is know. messy. This is this is not yeah. easy. And and that that's the thing that I think people forget, you know, they look at a finished piece of art or a novel or hear a piece and they don't realize how much blood, sweat, and tears went into it. And so they say, but mine doesn't look like that. Well, it did on day one. Yeah. And day 30. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. We um, we were in Jamaica last um, fall, and we had the opportunity to go to Noel Coward's house Ooh. where he lived, for where he summered. Um, or wintered, I'm not, I don't remember what, but he was, he was, of course, a playwright, but he also was an amazing painter, artist. Well, and didn't he sing too? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. So he, he did all that stuff. And, and to see the environment in which he worked was just amazing to me. And um, because it, it was way up high on a hill, looking down over beautiful Jamaica mm-hmm. and waterways and stuff. The ocean was right there. And so he had all this inspiration, and it was very quiet. And he had his piano and very simple house, very simple. I think he had a housekeeper. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, and one bedroom and a pool, you know. <laughs> And a kitchen, which I don't think he used very much. I think he just had food sent up because mm-hmm. he could. Right. You know? um, or he might have had a cook. But um, that, looking at that, I just could, I could identify because of the, the simplicity of the atmosphere, but just the fact that he needed that inspiration and, and took advantage of mm-hmm. it. It's pretty cool. That is really cool. It's like I'm listening to the birds chirping in the background here and thinking, you know, must be great for you to be able to just sit and listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we I'm very lucky to be here on in this farm because we have no noise now. We did when the plant when Walnut Acres was going strong, there were, you know, canning pro, the canning process was going on and there was mm-hmm. noise. And then the farm across the street was a dairy farm. And so there was stuff going on over there all the time, but we don't have the plant. We don't have the dairy farm. It is absolutely all here is the birds and the frogs That's great. <laughs> and the peepers and, <laughs> you know, and the cats meowing like one is now <laughs> That's because I'm not letting her in. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that helps the creative process. Yeah. So I want to go back in time a little bit because I know that, that we've talked before that you had kind of a difficult childhood Mm-hmm. And I know you had told me that you always knew that you were different from everybody else. And I'm just wondering how that factors into where you've ended up now. Did it did it push you more in a creative direction or? Oh, absolutely. And Ruth Chip says to me quite often, okay, you had this these experiences with your mom, but it helped you to, it brought that. I, when... When the beatings happened, I was just going into another dimension, mm-hmm. basically. I, I, I guess I learned to do that. So I, 
didn't have yeah, to face it. You'd have to. Yeah. Um, and I think that put me, and then, and then when I needed to escape also, I would sit down to the piano and I would read through just volumes of music, just one after the other. Mm-hmm. And I would be sitting at the piano and I, and I could see my dad, um, reading the paper or whatever. And I'm, I think he really enjoyed it, mm-hmm. but he didn't know how to react. He never acknowledged that all this was going on. Ooh. So I, it's hard and I've accepted it. And I know that there were, they were a different time period mm-hmm. and my mother probably was very mentally ill. So I, you know, I accept it. I, right. I've become the person I have become, I think as a result, I'm, I'm, I don't want to, I hope I wouldn't hope that for anybody to right. have that. And I, but I had, there were happy times too. So she was, she was schizophrenic. She was manic and schizophrenic, mm-hmm. I think. And because there would be laughter and good times. And of course, of course they encouraged my musicianship. Yeah. That I was just so, going to say, cause I, I knew you had mentioned that before. It had to be kind of an interesting contrast. It was. And, and of course I, I, Probably growing up, I probably thought I was a bad person mm-hmm. because I was told that. And but luckily, I had a sibling, my older sister, who we both stuck up for each other. Mm-hmm. But but when she was being hit or whatever, I felt it right and felt right. the pain. You know, so it's just uh, we and I think I've told you she and I still cry. Mm-hmm. I'm so sure. I, about it you know it's just like why did we have to go through that but it but in some ways it certainly challenged my life and and because of it probably it made me have more perhaps a drive that Mm -hmm. someone in my position would need to have in order to kind of get away from that but and yet i was not a really good student so I think I daydreamed a lot, which is the creative right. person too. And and I think that was another escape. And I loved I just loved being around my friends and going to parties and dancing and, you know. Mm-hmm. Homework was not a big deal for me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I w- and and oddly enough, I was never forced to study or anything. You know, there wasn't that kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that was all about. But um, yeah, I mean, I had some academic moments that were that I'm not proud of. <laughs> um, but it was a product of that time and and right. where I was and what I was going through. So. so did it take you a while having been told that as a kid to actually realize that you were good at music? Or yeah. Not? I think I knew, I mm-hmm. think I knew that it was something in me because my, my friends and my peers um, helped me to believe in myself that okay. way. Cause they, they would say play the piano or, you know, uh, whatever and so i that was my identity mm-hmm. i'm in a and so i took that on i was proud of it but did you have that contrast where it was like i know i have this thing but i'm kind of afraid to believe that i really have it hmm 
Um, yeah, I probably in high school. Yeah. But then the minute I got to the choir college, I realized that I was okay, that I was up there with the other top musicians. Ah. That, and that, because that, it could have gone the other way. Mm-hmm. I could have gotten there and just been totally defeated. There right. was there was one kid, his name was Michael Kemp. No, not Michael Kemp. It was Michael, I've lost it, but Korn, Michael Korn. Um who was better than me on the organ, but he'd had different experiences Mm -hmm. in life. And so he was, he, it was great because that was a challenge for me to be as good as Michael. Yeah. I think if you go in and you're the best in the room, then you're not, you know, as likely to push yourself. You don't have anything to push against. That's right. And the first year that I auditioned for Westminster Choir, I didn't get in. Oh, yeah, that I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, so that was, um, and my girlfriend at the time did. So that was a real blow. Um, but it caused me to think, okay, I can do this. I know I can mm-hmm. do this. And um, and I think Dr. Lynn probably encouraged me. I, have I told you the, the story about when I did make Westminster Choir? I don't and think so. Was, was there a companist? Um, I was playing uh, the Brahms How Lovely Is Thy Dwelling Place. Ooh. as, um, And we were going on tour like the next day. And I totally screwed it up in rehearsal um, the day before or maybe two days before we left. Yeah, two days before. And Dr. Lynn said, I want to see you afterwards. And went to his office and he said, Bill, you're, you're screwing around here. You're, you have the talent to, to really be good. And you're just playing around too much. You're what he knew I was out partying and Mm -hmm. wasn't taking a lot of stuff seriously. And that I, I was relying on my innate talent rather than allowing it to just blossom more. And he said, I want you to come in here with the Brahms memorized tomorrow. And if you don't have it memorized, you're not going on tour. Well, (laughs) yeah, that's a wake up call. Oh, totally. And I think we've all had those moments in our lives where somebody inspired us to just, okay, I'm screwing around here. I'm just going with what I have and I'm not allowing myself to, to take that extra stuff. And so that was the turning point for me at the choir college. And that was my sophomore year, the end of my sophomore year. So, um, I, and I'll, I'll be forever grateful to Dr. for for making me do that. Of course I was up all night memorizing Mm -hmm. it, but I went in, played it, perfectly probably because he wanted that and he said okay now you've just proven to yourself that you you can do this and you've done it in one night right just think what you can do over a lifetime if you apply yourself which i wasn't yeah but aren't we all glad you did (laughs) oh and i'm glad i yeah i but that was that was a biggie yeah no it absolutely would be and and i think sometimes you really need that yeah, yeah. 
And it's not I, like he was harsh, you know, he was no. like not saying, you know, you're awful because you haven't done this. It was like, no, you can do this and you have to prove it to yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think I that he talking- said that is, is really telling. It wasn't, it wasn't about proving it to him because he already knew. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting, interesting point. I would, I had lunch with, um, we have um, scholarship um, college students in the Susquehanna Valley Corral. Mm-hmm. And I was having lunch with my tenor scholarship who, student who graduated from Susquehanna University. Um, really great kid. Just a great kid. He sang with me for three years as a scholarship tenor. Um, during lunch, he said, I, Dr. Payne, I just want to tell you something. He, he said, I, you um, called me on something. And he said, it just totally made me think. And I remember the incident. He said, um, he was in the candlelight procession. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I had told him, you've got to have it memorized this particular week. Got mm-hmm. up there and I, he was just not even there. Yeah, it's totally not, just had no clue what the text was. So I had, um, I emailed him after that rehearsal and I said, Ben, you are my scholarship tenor. You are a music major. You want to be a conductor. You do not come to rehearsal unprepared. And you need to have this memorized for me next week, and you're going to sing it for me before we before rehearsal, the words and the music. And I said, and and furthermore, I you need to be on time for rehearsals, which you've been late sometimes. And there were like two or three other things. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, you're a music major, you can do this, you have the ability, and. Um, and so he he did. He said at that point, I almost quit because he said, I'm not sure I can do this. But he talked to his parents and they had seen what a difference it was making for him to come to these rehearsals. And they said, you know, listen to him. Mm-hmm. And and he did. And he came and he was after that, he was the model scholarship tenor, <laughs> you know, and but it made him think. And so, yeah, I, I think, you know. As you're saying that, there there are some people who are really, really valuable and and I've as I'm thinking about this, there are a couple of them that come to mind for me and, and you're definitely one of them that you you just cannot even bear the thought of disappointing. Right. Exactly. You know, I mean that's that's how I decided when I started my grad school program, you know, every three weeks I had to mail off this packet of work and there were times that I just would sit there and go, I have 10 days and I have all of this to do and it's never going to happen. And somehow by magic it did when I really learned to appreciate deadlines because I swore to myself, no way was I ever going to send in a packet late. And I never did. And somehow it all got done, even though I wasn't sure how it was going to happen. And the same thing, you know, I, I would sooner have, you know, slit my own throat than disappoint you. (laughs) You know, it's like, okay, if Dr. Payne says I can do this, then I have to figure out how to do it, you know, and, and even, even though I will admit when you tell that story, it reminds me of how I managed to get out of singing once in Royal Davis City in a quartet for you for three years. (laughs) (laughs) Until Carissa Krenz outed me senior year when I'd been doing it for so long that I shouldn't have had to do it for you all. <laughs> but, yeah. But you never remembered, and I was just terrified that I wasn't going to tell you. That's so great. That's so but, great. 
Yeah, I, you know, no, no way. I that's right. I was talking to um, Rob Riker, who you know, Rob. Mm-hmm, I do. Well, he has he has the bell choir at Bucknell now. Oh, I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah, he took it over, and he's been so frustrated. He was ready to go on tour in January, and two of the students the night before call and say, "I can't go." <gasps> And for people and, who don't know, you can't do that with a bell choir. It's like taking keys out of well, your piano. Yeah. You don't do that at all. Right. And and so we talked and 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 I've talked to a number of alumni that have because this is happening in the choir as well. The the Beth Wheeler had to hire men to go on tour <gasps> with with what was the chapel choir is now Camerata. Right. No way. Yes. And so I've talked to a number of alumni and it's just like we're and just like you said, you would have rather died than to come up to me and say, I can't do something. And I remember a bison chip one time saying, I'm going to, I'm going to miss something. And I said, no, you're not telling me you're going to miss something. This is your priority. Either you're in choir or you're in chips. Mm -hmm. You can do both, but this is your priority. And he was there for me, but you know, at, at a, I can't believe that this is happening on campus. It's Ugh. just the that sense of pride and uh, commitment seems to be going. And I don't know whether it's this generation or what it is. You know, it's just yeah, I don't know, very- but I I can't imagine anybody ever in the four years that I was there even thinking about doing that. Right. And right. and I don't know, I mean, because what I'm immediately thinking is that it had a lot to do with the group dynamic as much as anything else. I mean, yes, we didn't want to disappoint you, but it was also, this was, this, these were our people, yeah. you know? So I kind of wonder if that's part of it, but I don't know because I'm not there, but I, wow. No, I we know. never, never, kind of ever. If I'd had to miss Rob something, to I'd have been the- heartbroken. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Rob had to cancel the tour because. Well, you know, yeah, you'd he, have to. Um, so it, I don't know, but yeah, for me, and I, I have the same expectations with the Susquehanna Valley Corral mm-hmm. and, um, most of the people tend to respond to that. And if they don't, they quit, you know? Well, and I think it's also, you know, Obviously, I'm not a part of that group either, but just knowing you and how you work with people, you never talk to us like we were just kids, you know? I mean, we were sort of your kids, but not not just kids. And I right. think when when you've got that back and forth where, you know, we respect you, you respect us, and we're all on the same team. And though, thank you for right. never describing choir as a team, because that would have made my skin crawl. Yeah. <laughs> but, but still, you know, we're all here to do this thing together. And we're, you know, we're here for each other. Then I think you're much right. less likely to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, my stepdaughter, Melina, played field hockey at Bucknell and she and I have over the years talked about the similarities you know you mentioned team Mm -hmm. that was a team but the similarities and the camaraderie that she had with her friends on that field hockey team was the exact same as what you experienced in choir there's no difference it doesn't matter whether it's sports or music or whatever 
you know, there's got to be that. And they won a championship, I think. And why did they? Because they believed in each other and, be- right. and they trusted their coach. They hated their coach, but they tr- <laughs> <laughs> but they, tr- they trusted her, you know. So there might have been that fear factor, too. I don't know. Yeah. And, well- and that's something that um, used to be a part of choral conductors um way they approached mm-hmm. their choirs well, and by still do, being yeah. a dictator you mm-hmm. know i mean and i can't say that i was never afraid in rehearsal i was every time you would say whoever's flat fix it or i'm going to make you all sing it one by one <laughs> yes and you saw me that that probably did more for my tuning <laughs> skills than anything else <laughs> exactly like, Okay. And you saw me get mad at Seth when he was banging oh around my doing my post list. Yeah. So there were those moments. But but they were very rare. Well, and, and when yeah. you would say, fix it, or I'm going to have you all sing it individually, that wasn't what I would think of as a Seth moment. Exactly. It, you know? No. Yeah. There, no. there were only two of those that I remember in four <laughs> years. And Seth was way before I even got to Bucknell. And got I came there. anyway, just like maybe those students at the Halloween party. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> exactly. But by then, I already knew I wanted to come, so that didn't make much of a difference. Right. But, but yeah, right. I mean, so, but yeah, if if you're if you have to be such a tyrant that you take all the joy out of it, why why do you why do you do it? It's like you know, writers. Know. It's like if you're not having fun writing your story, nobody's going to have fun reading it because it'll shine, it'll come through. So have fun with it first, and worry about whether it's perfect later. Exactly. I, I hear you. Yeah, it's, and I think that a lot of a lot of the reasons why these conductors were that way was they're just their own insecurities, and or, or they, they were weren't taught, it, yeah. they weren't prepared or mm-hmm. whatever, and so they blamed others for their, you know, if if something happens musically, I figure okay, I I need to fix this. I don't go to you know the singers. It's something maybe I can present to let them understand better. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, it's a two-way street, definitely. It definitely is, yeah. And I, I was thinking earlier when you were talking about your scholarship student that basically what you told him sounds a lot like what you told kids who auditioned for the choir and didn't get in. You know, yeah. which it also sounds sort of like what your professor at Westminster said, too. It's like, keep working Absolutely. and come back. And yep. I and I wonder if that's why, you know, that's where that came from was just... I'm sure it is. You yeah. know. Because it taught me... You could do this. Yeah. 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 That, it, that, it was, that it wasn't over. And, I did, and it also made me just think, oh, I wasn't even thinking that I was... Could go, go beyond what I'm doing, you know, so... Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think we don't... Some of it's just that we don't know what we don't know. Like, we don't know what's possible. And then some of it is that but that's for other people. How could I ever do that Right, kind of thing? Right. You know, especially if you're yeah. looking at, you know, the finished book and saying, but my first chapter is four paragraphs and they're terrible and I'm never going to get there. Well, everybody's first yeah. four paragraphs are terrible and they think they're never going to get there. Right. Exactly. No, definitely. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's interesting as I talk to you, I'm realizing that even though I mostly write, you know, I mean, I sing for fun, but I don't do it professionally. But though occasionally, every so often, I will. Um, that there's still so much that translates between the two that 
I learned just from watching you about how you do something and and how you approach it because there's I I don't know I mean the the way that you would you know you knew that the beginning was going to be messy and you would mm-hmm. get up and demonstrate exactly what you wanted. There's this image that I have in my head of sound between my eyes right above my nose. Yes, <laughs> will never exactly. Leave me. Yeah. You know, coming out and, your mouth is up here. Right, right. Um and yeah. I think there was a thing with a balloon off the top of your head, but that I'm sure. You know, I'm sure. But but still there's there's so much that you learn even in the things that you do for fun that translates and that you learn from people who really know what they're doing and work with you and you know I don't think it was conscious but I'm sure when I was writing my my book for grad school it was kind of like yeah I don't know what this is and I switched gears halfway through the first semester which was terrifying because then I'd lost 6 weeks which is only 6 yeah. weeks but that's still half a semester and yeah. you know was like I have no idea if I'm going to be able to finish this thing in time cuz I've never finished a novel before and oh dear god I have no idea what I'm doing but this feels like the direction Here to go in and I'm going to do it and I got yeah. there and certainly that has a lot to do with the faculty that I worked with there too but I'm sure that there was also something in me that I had learned that was saying yeah it's going to be hard so what you can do it yeah yeah and I think I probably right. learned yeah. that more from chapel choir than I did from anywhere else you know anywhere writing else. a paper is just yeah, you know writing a paper but putting sure. something together that sounds like a random jumble from of notes to, and to the final product. becomes a thing yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so neat. That's so cool. Yeah, you just never know. You don't. How you're making a difference in somebody's life. You know, it's you just true. never know. And so I'm I'm grateful to hear these things and thank <laughs> you. <laughs> sweet. So sweet. Well, yeah. that's true. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I'm, I'm so excited that we finally did it. You're so welcome. That's our show for this week. Many thanks to Bill Payne for sharing his time and to you for joining me. Please don't forget to share this episode with a friend. Thanks. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.